0: Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focusrite Pro podcast. This is a monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. Today we're coming to you live from NAB show as part of our NAB series. On the show today, Focusrite Pro's Will Holt and Dave Riley are joined by Chris Shepard and Steve Weeder of American Mobile. They'll discuss providing sound for four stages at both Coachella and Stagecoach using RedNet. They'll talk about audio networking, getting your career started as an intern, and a whole lot more. Let's get started.
1: everybody, this is Dave. I'm at the Focusrite booth at NAB. Today we're talking to Chris Shepard and Stephen Weeder.
2: Hey. Hello. So, how's it been? It's been a while since I've seen you. It's been a couple of years. Decade? No, not That's that a, long. It hasn't been that long. I've known you 17 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're that, that old now. <laughs> oh, I'm that old. <laughs> you were always, but you're a
1: year and two days older. One day.
2: Oh, that's right. Our birthdays are so close. We used to go out and celebrate them together a couple of times. I remember that now, and not with too
1: many cocktails. It was very that's appropriate. What I remember.
2: Very appropriate.
1: Steve's the inappropriate one always. We also have Will with us, Mister Will Holt from Focus. Right. Good to see you guys. So, what's going on with American Mobile now?
2: Well, we're tomorrow about to load into Coach, and uh, that's a three-week venture for us. We uh, we load in and do. Four stages this year and so we do three of them multi-track all with rednet equipment and it is, uh, so 64 channels of rednet preamps and obviously a stage. MADI converter at each stage yeah, they're all identical racks which is really nice with the Focusrite stuff, interchangeable but the um, it's it's to be able to keep up with the channel counts the channel counts are so high now so a lot of times 64 will cover it if we need more we just park another rack next to it run an ethernet cable to it and we're 128 it's that simple, you know, It's and it just keeps it real, um, I don't know, the way we put these racks together, they're genius. I think they really are great, and um, like I told you before, Will, they, they stand the temperature. We have not had any failure due to temperature, and you can't say that about a lot of gear. We've had these Focusrite preamps on the road now for, I'm trying to think of how many years, at least three years. Yes,
3: yeah, about three, right yeah. Now.
2: And uh, we didn't buy them all at once, so we kind of eased into it. But it, um, but, you know, you know desert
3: uh, suns. Someone do three on the rack. So yeah, so three days cool of shows.
2: Yeah. You know, three days of shows, and uh, basically you're doing eight to ten bands a day. So you do the sound checks in the morning, save all those preamp levels, and with it working so well with Avid, it saves the preamp levels. You go into the show, you do your line check, and the first song is maybe a little squirrely, and gets better after that. That's an live fault, you know. This is this is how it goes. Yeah, nice. Um, it, it was always
1: a little bit squirrely. I remember that, but I also remember that it would be squirrely a little bit before every single show.
2: Well, you had to reset all these things manually. I mean, you would be over on the preamps, and you know, hopping around like a bunny trying to get the preamp levels set properly. Even if we had notes, because everybody plays differently. Yep. Uh, and now it's just so much more forgiving. Mm. Um, you know, and the noise floor is great. The noise floor is, you know, when you're running that many channels, it's really important to have a really low noise floor. Um, you know, it, it and the they stuff sound works so darn good. Yeah. You know how do.
1: <laughs> how many shows are you actually doing a year now? I mean, cuz you were doing a bunch before, but now it seems that it seems that you guys are doing way more.
2: I think we could probably put two more in our in our schedule, but right now we're at 313, you know, festivals and that's kind of capacity for us. We do a bunch of little one-off things that maybe I count, but uh, a lot of Amazon shows, uh, those can be really kind of stressful because they're live on Amazon, and then they seem to be living for eternity after that. So, and that's
4: all served from one truck? Yes. Wow.
2: Yeah. So we do all these other stages, like Steve is going to do this one called the Outdoor Theater Stage at Coachella, and so he'll put his stage rack on his stage, and he'll be inside a little isolated pod where he loads in a fly pack. It's a beautiful fly pack. Um, it's a what we call a control room, RedNet control room, with a RedNet stage rack, married together by a piece of fiber, and uh, these racks are so slick. So we do another stage called Mojave the same way, and um, it, it, what's nice is once you work on one of the rigs, you really can work on any of it. So you've got the the mic pre's in your stage rack, what's in the control room rack? The co- uh, it's the 32s, and also the output, uh, an 8 or a 16 output. Yep. And so um, right now the fly packs are still running at 64s, but the, the trucks running in dual 96. Very nice. Just because uh, it seems like we hit the main stage on those ones and the truck more, so we it's used to have more inputs from a lot of these bands now. 96 is going to be barely enough for this year. I'm sure it's going to be more. It just keeps getting to be more, but it's easy because we all we have to do is roll in a separate control room rack, connect a couple of cables, and we're we're doubling our our inputs ability.
4: Sure, that's one of the beautiful things about um, audio over IP and then, I guess, more specifically Dante. Uh, in our case, that, yeah, it is as simple as adding um, adding an extra couple of units adding into the rack.
2: It is. I mean, it's really that simple. And, of course, you know, Audinate makes it easy as well. That seems to be really reliable. And I didn't know anything about that company until you guys introduced me to what Dante was. And the learning curve was, you know, in the beginning... I was calling Ted fairly often. (laughs) A couple times a night. (laughs) (laughs) But always start with the words, I'm really sorry, Ted. It's so late. I'm really sorry. (laughs) But.
1: (laughs) Well, at least he took the calls, though.
2: Yeah, he still takes my calls. Thank you. I've heard that. So Ted's number is. not
4: about RedNet or anything. (laughs) Ted's number is scrolling across the screen as we speak.
2: Yeah. (laughs) cell number eight, seven.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, clearly I have known you a very long time, and I know that I saw the early iterations of the truck, from the very small truck to the bigger truck to the big, 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 big truck. What was the shift that made you think about Focus right in the first place?
2: It was really the uh, remote control mic and we were really getting old and tired of carrying big analog cable, and so when, you know... To be serious, I, just, it, I it,
1: forgot about that. And that, I, that you were saying it, I was like, we, "Oh God, that was so heavy!" It's just
3: yeah.
2: so heavy, you know. And yeah. It you're did like, have
3: a nickname, but we probably shouldn't say. Well. Oh yeah, no, it's okay. It's not like we're on speakers; you
1: yeah. can swear all you need to. But it, it,
2: it was really bad. It was we needed to make this job easier so we could live through it. Yeah. And so, in making the job easier, we needed remote control mic preamps. We needed smaller cabling. We needed to go over fiber. And fiber was pretty new to us, you know. NEP was rolling out fiber, and we'd look at it, and go, well, "What is this stuff? You know, this is great. Yeah. Well, how it's well, going to break, right? Why it's can glass." We use it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think that was the big transition was we needed to try to make the job easier, uh, so we could maintain this into our, you know, sixties, seventies. Can we still keep doing this? And I, I, I don't think I'll ever stop. You know, uh, and you know, uh, Steve has his son is going to be his A2 at his stage this year. That's going and to be he's, fun. He's graduating from, um, uh, from Flashpoint. Flashpoint Academy. This is a school. And so Nate is now with him and so my sons have both been on the road with me and will be a, again. And so it's really cool that we can kind of like that's kind of our dream as well was be able to pass on yeah. things and have our kids want to do it. But I guess it's got to throw
4: up some unique challenges taking family on tour with you. Yeah. I think we get along pretty well. Oh, that yeah,
2: I don't. I really, to be He's honest, everybody really hasn't likely. had any negatives. The negative part is when they don't come on the road with you, and you go home and you say, "Oh, you should have seen this was great and this was great." Pretty soon, you just don't tell those stories anymore because you feel like you can never, you know, uh, here's a picture. It, it's just not the same yeah. until you're there and you're experiencing it together, and then they really understand. We always have one of our wives who will come out on the road with us on these gigs, or you know, be a visitor so that way they understand what it is that we go through. Because they think we all just get together and smoke a bunch of weed, drink a bunch of beer, record a bunch of music, and it's and all it's just great, all right? Glamorous. It's a, and it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I don't think that they ever keep that really in perspective of how much work it is to maintain and to be the professional through all nine bands of that day and then drink your face off, of course. But yeah. But to get to that point well, and, and every one of our wines. And be your best on the
3: ninth band. Yeah. Because that's the headliner, you know, it's like,
2: Every one of them come back with a new appreciation, and they leave <laughs> us alone for another year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to do that to all the guys, so that way they can have their significant other, see why they're gone for, for a month. Absolutely. And let, them, let, them, let me have them again the next month. Because so uh, it's not all about money.
4: So I guess that kind of brings me um, you know fairly nicely onto a question I had, which is, why did you each get into Pro Audio in the first place? What was it that, um, that piqued your interest? You know,
3: how did Steve? it
1: start? <laughs> um, Do you remember that far back? When it clicked
3: and when I wanted to be a, an engineer, I, I remember I saw a Cheap Trick concert with my sister down at Eastern Illinois University and I was sitting right behind the console and I went, that looks cool. And I'd never, I didn't end up being a live guy went into the studio, but that was the spark. I want to run one of those things. (laughs) Dave, I'm interested in your answer on
2: this (laughs) one. At 30, what made you... ah, Why do you walk into my (laughs) office and say I want to be an intern?
1: I I don't do pro audio. Um, No, it was the thing, right? So like, my story was always I was in bands, and I got so burned out of playing with people that either didn't do it right, didn't want to do it right, and you just kind of burn out. And I went, well... I still want to do music. I'm going to go to the other side, move from Milwaukee to Chicago. You were the biggest studio. Yeah. I mean, CRC was it. So I walked in, and I had no idea what a resume would look like. And what, like two years later, you told me the only reason you gave me an internship because you thought it would be funny. Here's a 30-year-old walking in. Oh, this guy's not going to last. <laughs>
2: Well, I, man, I was real honest with you right from the get-go that you were too old to do this job. Oh, yeah, I'm still old. I'm still too old to do this job.
1: <laughs> but I'm getting by.
2: <laughs> and, and, you know what? It, it was really because you were from Wisconsin. That was why I even had the interview with you is because you said, you know, you're, like, from Milwaukee. I'm like, okay. I know.
1: probably said, like, oh, crap, I'm from Milwaukee. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> jeez.
2: I I think my answer to your question of why we started getting into this is uh, I I think I had some sort of, I knew I had something talent of undoing the puzzle of what it is to mix music, and I thought I had something like that inside of me, but I didn't have anything else. And so I really went at it and and (laughs) said, I really have to be good at this because I really don't know how to do anything else.
1: Well, but you've been doing this an insanely long time.
2: I started at CRC when I was 19, yeah. So I'm like 53 ten now, years. Or 52, 87.
3: Now. I think you started. Right?
2: 87. Year. Wow! And, then, and luckily, we had somebody who introduced us to artists. We still had that studio manager guy that would go, you know, was matching us up with people. And brought, And I was fortunate enough. Hank Newberger matched me up with a bunch of people that made a difference in my life. Uh, different records, and you know, he, so he introduce you one day. He goes, "You're going to do an industrial rock album." Okay. I don't even know what, what is, uh, rock What is, what is that? <laughs> but I learned, and I, I met fantastic people. I mean, you think about all the artists you get a chance to work with, yep. just because somebody put you together. you, know, well, you did How resi- many
3: records did you do with KMFDM?
2: Twelve. We did 12, 12 albums together. But And that was just the thing. You know, there's a lot, and, and there was a lot of people you get to introduce to out of chance, and those chance relationships, sometimes if you're good enough and you can, you can keep up with them, that's the main thing. They don't want to wait. If you can keep up with them so their ideas can keep flowing, you can be with them again the next time because man they don't like nobody likes to wait no you know so it's really it's really it's key yeah
4: i think that's some pretty sound advice there for anyone uh anyone who might be listening that wants to get into the industry that there's a few different stories there you got um dave obviously came into it later in life and you know
1: geriatric times
4: (laughs) i don't know about that but yeah and then yeah different stories for each of us yeah very cool
2: what? There's one thing about Dave I did want to mention. He's just not gonna, it's not going to get worked in here the other way. <laughs> but there was nobody faster when we came through this thing. It was faster on Pro Tools than, than Dave was. He took editing editing of Pro Tools to a whole other level for a lot of us that were working on Pro Tools. Because, I mean, here's this guy who hasn't done as many records as any of us. But he's way faster than any of us. Why Why is he faster than me? And it really just shows you each generation behind you, you know, there's... There's so many of the younger people that come up, and you you learn something from them, mm-hmm. even though you think you know everything, because you will. Know, yeah. well, we've seen that before, folks. But it really did. It was one of the first times it opened my eyes that somebody younger than me that had done less than me can be way better than I am at a tool that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I paired up with him and kept him close for so long while we were working was because he was so good at running the box. I mean, nobody faster. I, I just could not believe how quickly he can edit stuff. It was very... Helpful on a lot of projects, and we did more than just an Elvis Costello album together. We did other projects together too. Oh, yeah. Anytime I could get Dave in on the project, just because he was so fast, and did not have to sit and concentrate on the box to be able to listen to the artist, so we can stay in front of the artist. That was it. Was a total asset.
4: Yeah, that's that's quite important as well. I think a lot of people, um, you know, particularly nowadays, lose sight of, of exactly what you said there. That um, we're surrounded by all this wonderful equipment. We're surrounded by. Um, a lot of equipment which is far more affordable than it ever has been. And people get so focused on the equipment, so focused on um, on the tools around them, and they forget why they're really there, which is to, to, you know, to create something that sounds and feels great.
2: It, it's so funny these days if you go into a room and then you turn off the computer monitor. It's like the sun just turned off. Yep. It's amazing how much more your ears will open up when you turn Wait, off that computer monitor. What it's am amazing. I supposed to
3: look at? Well, that's the
2: thing. The tape it, it, I mean, machine. It, it's like four guys staring at a computer monitor. Yeah, man. Ooh. You know, it's it's really, it's really weird. You turn that off, and it, there's interaction that happens. There's it. That looks like it sounds cool. Yeah, you, you don't
1: look at the grid. You actually start listening for the feel. You start listening, going, oh, man, that actually feels really good. And then someone looks at the grid and goes, but it's off. Yeah. And you're like, you can leave because it sounds great. Yep. And it's very hard. One of the... One of my favorite stories um, from us working together was uh, a different Elvis Costello project. When we worked together on the DVD, you called me and said, Hey, can you come in and tune Elvis for the live? Because he requested it. He was using uh, wedges, and he wasn't used to it. And you had called and asked that. And my whole thing was, you asked the wrong question. You didn't ask, have you ever even seen the plug-in auto-tune before? So (laughs) the the question was, can you? And I went, I got time. (laughs) And it was that thing. It was just like, I'll figure it out. And you always gave the latitude to either hang yourself or figure it out. And that was was absolutely integral to the many more years of doing music that I had. It was figure the shit out, especially when you started bringing me out in live stuff. Because then you're super screwed. You know, I remember having Pro Tools crash, and you just watch the little ball spin, and you just turn to the mic pre, and you're mixing. Yeah, because you know, well, it's probably still recording, so I'm going to keep doing this. You know, and those were it's some still of
3: still passing audio.
1: Yeah, and that was those were the lessons that I think really to learn to grow, right? And you always knew that you would. Just get through the damn day. What was the you You're saying? Never was, fail,
2: man. It was just never okay. fail.
1: Every day ends. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll get through. it's still ends.
2: my favorite saying, man. Every yeah. day does end. I, I've, I've said that to my <laughs> wife
1: when she said really bad is like, every day ends, and she's like, shut up. <laughs> 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 yes, dear. But I think that's it can be hard. hard yeah, but it's important, you know, and it's. But it will end. Yeah, exactly. Especially in the life with how you've gotten your system. Even back in the day, you always had it ready, and there was always the fail safe, and we always had every single show covered.
2: Yeah, we never missed. You know, in all these years, we've really never missed. I don't want to jinx myself, but I, I think I've done enough testing and stuff to know that whatever can fail, I mean, we, you'll pull out your credit card in that moment, and it'll never go through that moment again, ever. Because you just won't. It, it hurts too much to, to fail, and I don't care how much money it costs, you know. Battery backups in every rack. Every rack we build on the very bottom is at least a half an hour of battery time. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: You know they're heavy, they're expensive, they're paying the butt, but man, every, you just cannot. Well,
4: it's, it's less expensive than losing the next show, right? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it,
2: it, it's it's something that will eat you alive. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so having the redundancy, which is also another great time this back to back um, into Focusrite, uh, is all the redundancy built in with the power supplies and uh, the way that we're routing things. So we have it going to multiple places, multiple rigs. One goes down, the next one picks it up. You know, we feel comfortable. I mean, there's always a chance the fiber could get cut. There's always a chance of something, but we still have a fail-safe if that happens. We're picking off something before that fiber, just in case, because there's always going to be audio. Somehow there's always going to be audio.
1: So have you, this is something that I was wondering, have you started connecting the stages together? Because sometimes you used to like come in and stand behind and hear what's going on. Now you could just click in.
2: It's too much fiber to run between the stages because, like, sure. it was sometimes we're we're so far apart, and it, you know, as much as we like to, we'd like to have a compound action happening. We're we're centralized. It's still, you know, we need to be at that stage because the artist or their uh, sound supervisor wants to come in. They want to have a chat. They want to give us notes. They want to be. And if if they have to go to a compound, they're not going to come see us. And that interaction, and we're not going to get the
3: multi-track. That's make, how we
2: meet people down the road. That that say yes next time. Um, that the reason that they say yes is because they have a feeling that we we have their interest in heart. We're not trying to make our record. We're making their record. Uh, we're just we're trying to emulate what they've already done. We're trying to make sure that that goes to broadcast. You know, we're not trying to invent the wheel. We're just trying to make sure we're rolling it right for them. It's. And so I think by us being there close is the way to do it. We have tr- we have jumped on different uh, you know fibers that are already run in the field in order to get some back and around and stuff like that. There's certain circumstances. Steve starts doing the A1s now. It's something that's different from what you, he where he's taking all of our stages. Okay. And he's taking it inside the video truck, and I just knew he's got a semi now. I'm not sure he knew that. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah, he, had, he bought the Monday Night Football truck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you should see it. It's pretty unbelievable. It's pretty cool. And so it, it's, uh, and so yeah, Steve's in there listening to all of us. And so at the end of the night, he can give us feedback on, you know, who's you know who's louder. I give him an extra money up top to make me a little bit louder. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, is, that why, actually, is that why why you're coming through be louder? Because you know that louder, right right louder is better. <laughs> yeah, it is. The louder is better. better. And so I like to be the loudest. So, you know, a little extra cash. But the, <laughs> so yeah, he gets to he gets to listen to all of us. And there's still the competition, of course. We always are competitive between each other, friendly-wise. It's because I'll get to do Cage the Elephant one week, and he'll get to do them the next week or next best. And so we, we always want to be the best at each band. And, uh, and so it's, there is always friendly competition, but it's always been that way.
3: I always want to do my best because he could be listening. <laughs> Chris could be listening, and he'll say, what was up with that one? You Dude. know, it's, it's funny
1: because the live thing was always so... Beforehand, It was very difficult, and it was like, okay, here we go. We're going to do it. And then afterwards, it was like, oh, God, we're done. But during it was always so exciting and incredible. It never felt like work. No, ever, yeah. no. Unless someone kicked out the power yep. or, like, there was a devastating failure on stage. But we always knew we were fine. But it was always so much fun to do that and capture those things and just... It's those be moments in the moment. that yeah. keep it going. Yeah,
2: I mean, absolutely. It is exciting. It's the job most people would, that's that hot seat most people would not want to be sitting in, but I think it, it is really exciting. We but it's exciting it. though because you're so prepared. Yeah, you're not scared because you know being nervous and excited or scared and excited that comes from the same place in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't know which one you are, and I've just accepted that yes, nervous is scared. Okay, that's it. Somebody else. But it's also excited, and. Uh, as long as you've done all your homework and done everything you can to make sure that you're fail safe, yeah. Then you can really enjoy the show, listen to the song. But that also means knowing the songs too. You've got to do your homework, and know the songs before they come up. You know, otherwise you're just winging it.
4: But all of those, um, you know, all of those feelings you mentioned—so nervousness, um, excitedness, um, fear—they all come, as you say, they come from the same place. But they all come from a really important place, which is that you care about what you're doing you care about the job that you're providing if you didn't care you probably wouldn't feel those things but you also wouldn't be doing an excellent job You know, to, to yeah. the capability that you, you can do
3: So
2: just want it to be great yeah. I've learned that the more experience we have the more fear we have because when we were early on we didn't know what to be scared of yeah <laughs> We were ignorant. (laughs) No, but it's true. Life was bliss. You know what I mean? Oh, this is great. You know, we just didn't know what to be scared of. Now we know what to be scared of, so we're really scared. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Wait,
3: there's this and that. Yeah. Well, it used to
2: be that there was, you know, maybe thirty people listening. You know, and then there was maybe hundreds. You know, I remember we used to high five when it would be maybe a thousand people listening. But now, by the time the second or the broadcast of Coachella is over with, you know, and China's done the rebroadcast. It's two, three, four million people have listened to the broadcast. And so we were always just excited to have people listening to what, what we were doing. And now they're really listening. It's like, Ooh, and, uh, how and many it's people fun. are listening? So, it, so it, get, it, it gets fun because then <laughs> what you're doing feels more important because it yeah. actually has some more impact, you know. And the artists actually listen back to it. And we yeah. get notes back from them or feedback or thank yous. And there's nothing better than having a, your broadcast go out and then getting a thank you a week later from the artist saying that was the best live broadcast mix we've D- ever had. Does that happen frequently? Not enough. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not enough. Frequently? Frequently would not be the word I would use. <laughs> but, you know, on the important ones, we're usually touching all the way down with their people because yeah. we want them to go back immediately. They're in the truck next to us holding the map. And so that way they go back and say, it went great. We just we try to get the approval process in there because, like Dave said, when you're in it, And that moment, and it's fun. And if you have somebody from the camp in on that fun part when we're getting the mix just right, and it's perfect, and they feel it too, and then they go back and sit in the camp with the artist. Again, the next time we see them, the approval process is a lot easier. Yeah. Because we get in the checkbox right away. So most of the emails have already happened for Coach. So we've gotten a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of unknown factors out. And people are apprehensive, unless they've worked with us before and know that... Quality of the work that we do, they're going, oh, it's some sports broadcast guys, you know. But. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this really coming through the speakers? <laughs> That's
4: really interesting, though. So, like the the uh, the, the audio side of the you know the, the job is obviously critical, right? You know, you're not going to have you're not going to have a product without. Without that process, without your skills going into that, but it sounds to me like a lot of the skills that you're also deploying are people skills outside of the, the right. audio side of things. Um.
2: Completely, and nobody better than this from, guy with it. He gets the sign off faster than anybody else. From from
3: day one, like even working doing working in the studio, it's, yeah. it's always been like that. Always
1: relationships. Ha-
2: and half yep. your job is psychology. You're holding the baby. We used to refer to that. You know, mm-hmm. when somebody you ever see a mom, a newborn mom, and she's got her baby. She doesn't want anybody to touch or hold it or anything. You know what I mean? And this is an artist letting us hold the baby. That's how I look at it. Don't kick the baby. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'll try not to drop the baby. Right? Yet. I'll hand it nicely back to you. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, that okay, was, yeah. you know, the... Don't rela- drop the baby. That's the <laughs> well, that was one of the relationship things that you always taught, too, was, you know, the cli- what was the other thing? You had a rule, which I thought was funny, and I... I do this at the trade shows. Uh-oh. It's, you can have a record that everything is seamless and there's absolutely no problem. But if your breath stinks, everyone remembers that. Like, oh man, <laughs> remember that record? What a fun record. Yeah. That dude's breath was so nasty. <laughs> but it's the relationship thing. Since you got to make sure that you do these things. And it's, these are lessons that have always stayed with me. When I opened my first place in North Hollywood, I had a huge thing of gum. And I'd have interns come in and go, you smell, go home. I don't want you here. And if I don't want you here, the client's Point. not going to want you here. Yeah.
2: Not wow, rough it. rule, man. It's that's a rough one there. It's when the client <laughs> is smelly that
3: it gets hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Or that? the producer, you know. Yeah. Well, we
3: that's, had that one.
4: that's where you need a really good relationship with them <laughs> so that you can be open with them and say to them, you know what? Go
3: take a shower. Maybe not. Maybe not.
1: <laughs> that was a good take, but I'm not feeling it because I can't get past the stink. Let's get rid of the stink. It's, it's coming across on the recording. Yeah. It's true. Uh.
2: I would go to this job in Germany all the time and I'd have two pieces of gum out like this all the time, just constantly. Hey, you guys want some gum? God. <laughs> well, you you did a please almost
1: like a residency, right? In Germany for well, how many? Months. 3 years? No, so, no. Was no it we months? were there
2: for like 7 months or something. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It was great. Good times. It's a it long does. time to be on the road.
1: In Germany.
2: In Germany.
3: Hey. Again, sorry. That was awesome. <laughs> Didn't you? You were supposed to fly home on nine eleven. Yeah,
2: finished the day early. He
3: came, finished a day early, got home before 9-11. Holy! Otherwise, he wouldn't crap. have come home.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, you're like me. You, you don't like being on the road for too long. You know, no. for me, it's about ten days, and I got to go home. And so, this one's kind of a long trip. But like I said before, Steve's got his son with him, so it makes it easier when you have somebody that, uh, some of your family with you on yeah. the road. It makes it much easier. So. Uh, we, yeah. We'll have our... My sons will be on the road with me at the next gigs coming up in the summer. So I look forward to that. You know, the one piece we did put in, though, like, uh, you know, the clients come in and they, they don't... They see all this really cool red net. I'm just so glad the red stuff sticks out so much. They're all like, ooh, you know, it looks great. Yeah. But the thing we put in was a seven-foot leather couch. Oh, that's the most really? impressive piece of equipment we could have put in in the off-season here. That's awesome. Because that's all they care about, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my latte? A place to charge my phone, you know. That's all, they, you know, and a, and a place to sit.
1: That's excellent. And a stack of gum. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
3: Huge
2: stack of gum.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been so wonderful seeing you again. Thanks, and man. Man,
2: thanks for stopping by the booth. It's really worked out good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. for having us.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Right Pro Podcast. This podcast is produced by me, Dan Hughley with music by Simon Poulton. This show was recorded on location at the NAB show. For more information on FocusRight Pro, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com.